Easter, everyone. Wow, that sounds good. Hey, um, woo, I got loud there. Is that, uh, I just won't inhale as much. I think I really filled my lungs. Um, if you are a guest today, uh, I want to uh, extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you're here. It's so fun to look out and see so many faces I don't know. Uh, uh, and you're smiling right now. I hope you're smiling in 30 minutes or so. But uh, um, after the service, I do want to invite you to come on back to the visitors' welcome. It's really quick, but I, I really do look forward to meeting uh, as many of you as possible. Um, before I get into my talk this afternoon, I want to give you a sneak peek of uh, our next sermon series. Next weekend, Andrew will be kicking off a series called, it's called Distracted. And uh, I don't think anyone would dispute that we live at a time when we are more distracted than any generation uh, before us. Uh, we have uh, out-of-control schedules, non-stop social media. In fact, some of you are probably looking at your phones right now as we speak. We are addicted to these shiny things. And what we'll be looking at uh, in this four-week uh, series is that uh, we are being distracted from who God made us to be. As human beings, we are, we are being distracted from the lives that he meant us to live. And uh, the Bible makes it very clear that, that God made us. And he knows what he made us for. He knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. And he knows uh, the kind of lives we need to live in order to not just survive, but to really live and to thrive. So I want to uh, invite all of you uh, to come on back next weekend as we kick off this series, Distracted. We hope that you can make it. All right. So this afternoon, of course, it's Easter. Uh, this is the big one. This is the, the big weekend. And really, this is the, uh, uh, the weekend where we as a, as a church celebrate what I would call the, the deal maker or the deal breaker, that uh, if Jesus did not come back to life, then his name would have been added to a long list of first century wannabe messiahs. You know, you can, it doesn't, you can, you can Google search, you know, uh, uh, fake messiahs are put in all kinds of things and you can find there's a list of men who at some point in the first century stepped on the scene and, and made a claim of, I am the messiah, I'm the one you've been waiting for to the people of Israel, I am the, you know, I am the chosen one and, they'll, and they gather a crowd of people who starts following them around and then uh, what pretty much always happens to those guys is they get killed, they get executed. And what happens right after you know, they're executed is their group of followers very quickly disbands. They just dissolve, they're gone, it's over. And this is one of the reasons uh, why I believe Jesus came back to life because when you look at the, the history of the church, when you look at the followers of Jesus, uh, when Jesus, upon his death and resurrection, they far from disbanded. They far from, you know, their numbers far from shrinking actually exploded with growth. Even though, even though there were uh, uh, lots of people who, lots of stories where, you know, of, of people who didn't believe that Jesus had come back to life, lots of stories that were intentionally started to cover up his resurrection. After his death and resurrection, the numbers of Jesus exploded with growth. And it's continued to grow to this day. And, you know, this weekend in churches all around the world, we're going to have our highest attendance numbers. It's a big weekend for people to go to church. And I was thinking about that, and I'm sure there are a lot of reasons why people feel this draw to go to church you know, on, on, on Easter weekend. But I think one of the reasons 
One of the reasons is because as human beings, there is something deep down inside of us that hopes that the story of Jesus is really true. There's something deep down, and whether that hope comes from a place of fear, uh, you know, just, just watch the news. This is a world that's spinning out of control in, in so many uh, different ways. Whether that hope comes from a place of, of loneliness or a lack of satisfaction. You know, you've accomplished all these things in life, and then when you lay your head in your pillow at night, you're like, is that it? That's it? That's, you know, is there, is there not something more? I, there is something deep down in every human being that hopes that the story of Jesus is true, that he really did, that he really is the special one, that he really did come back to life. Listen to this quote from a, an English author, Julian Barnes. He said, uh, he said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I, uh, I love this quote. Because I think this captures the human condition. You know, you may be here today, and, and I know I have a lot of friends that they have issues with God. But at the end of the day, when you really get down to their heart, you know, they would agree with this man. They'd say, but I, but I miss him. Again, there's, you know, when God made us, when God made us, the Bible makes it real clear that God, you know, he, it says in, in, in the, uh, Psalm 139, I believe, I'm, uh, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. And when God did that, when he made you, he wired into the heart of every human being a homing beacon. And when you get real quiet, you can hear it, or at least you can feel it. Because God put something in the heart of every human being that longs to be connected with their maker. That longs to be, maybe, maybe a better way to put it, to be reconnected with their maker. And so today, as we go through, uh, we're going to be, you know, I'll be wrapping up this series, this John series, and the title of this series, we've been in it a couple months, the title is So That You May Believe. That's why John wrote this book. And uh, my goal today, we're going to be looking at chapter 20, is, is really I'm going to draw some things out of this story that I believe, some things that Jesus did that I believe help us to believe and help us as human beings to connect or reconnect uh, with our maker. So let me pray. And then uh, we'll jump into the book of John. So let's pray. Lord, this has been a wonderful weekend. I thank you for everyone that's here. I uh, thank you that you know us. You know everything about us. And uh, Lord, this is a simple prayer, but we're, we're celebrating that you're alive. And I ask Jesus that you would come and just be alive in this room. Come and walk among us. Pray that you'd uh, come meet us where we are. Come be personal with each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna be uh, in John chapter 20. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's a page 1084. <laughs> at least in my Bible. There's Bibles at the front and, and also at the back, but the, uh, the different verses will be on the screen. So uh, John chapter 20, let me just set the scene. Uh, Friday, we had a Good Friday service. Friday is when Jesus was crucified on the cross, uh, uh, you know, executed his lifeless body. He's dead. He's laid in a tomb. And then early Sunday morning, uh, there are some women who were followers of Jesus. They're now heading over to the tomb and they're bringing spices. They're going to complete the burial process. And when they get there, the big old stone that was, you know, covering, sealing the tomb, covering the entrance has been 
uh, rolled away and they, they look and they look inside and there's no one there. Jesus is gone. His body is gone. The, the grave clothes, the wrappings are still there, but, but not Jesus. And one of these women, a woman named uh, Mary Magdalene, she sees that and she starts running back into town and she runs to where uh, a couple of the disciples are, Peter and John, and she tells them, his body's gone and they go running out to the tomb and and they get to the tomb and they look in and they see it and and you know that that what Mary had told them is true and they they walk away you know scratching their heads and then Mary Mary uh, Magdalene goes back to the tomb all by herself and that's where we take the story up so this is John 20 verse 11 here's what it says now Mary stood outside the tomb crying As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Okay, we'll stop there. All right, so in your notes, uh, your first point, point number one is Jesus was seeking people and not a platform. Jesus was seeking people, not a platform. And last weekend, uh, JT talked about Palm Sunday The weekend before Easter is Palm Sunday where Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem like a conquering king. And the the reason it's called Palm Sunday is because the people, they're laying, you know, uh, palm branches down before him on the roadway. And that's, that's very symbolic. That's really their way of saying, yeah, we see you as the king. And his disciples, the 12 disciples, they're like the secret service, you know, they're sort of keeping the crowd at, you know, back. And, and, and for them, it's like a presidential campaign. And they're super stoked because their candidate, Jesus, is by far the front runner. And so they are literally, uh, they're already picking out cabinet positions. And, uh, and so they're really excited. But then within a matter of days, it all comes, in their eyes, it all comes crashing down. Because now they're seeing Jesus killed on the cross, laid in the tomb, but we know the story and now it's Sunday morning and he isn't dead and here's what I wanna focus in on. The first person, Jesus is now alive, he's come back to life, the first person to find that out, the first person that Jesus makes contact with, that Jesus reveals himself to, the first witness to his resurrection is a woman, it's Mary. And if I was the campaign manager for Jesus, I would've said, hey Jesus, if you wanna build a platform, if you really wanna you know, your, keep your numbers going up and up, you, you need to pick, you gotta pick better, uh, you gotta reveal yourself to other people, to better witnesses. And here's what I mean by that. In the first century uh, Jewish culture, a woman's testimony was useless in the court of law. And, and to really drive that home, there's a little later in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul, real significant character, uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament. When Paul is, you know, years later after the resurrection, he's thinking about it and he's writing about it. 
Uh, listen to how he interprets what happened on, on that Easter morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He doesn't even mention Mary, the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. And again, if I was his campaign manager, I'd be, Jesus, you gotta be, you gotta be working a different crowd here. And, and wouldn't you agree that it would be so much easier to believe in the story of Jesus like, you know, and, and just the, the gospel, the good news, this story that the Bible says that God sent his son down to earth, Jesus, who was fully God, fully a man all at the same time. It's a mystery to me. But that he, you know, walked the earth and did all these amazing things, that he went to a cross and that he went to the cross to, to, pay, the punish, to pay the penalty for our sin. And I read this this week. I thought this was so good that the cross was on, on the cross. Going to the cross, Jesus was writing the check for our debt, for our sin debt. On the, on the cross, he wrote the check. The resurrection was proof that the check went through, that it's covered. I thought that was really cool. But, but wouldn't it be so much easier to believe that story if Jesus, after he'd come back to life, if he revealed himself, if he appeared to more credible witnesses? Like, if I was Jesus... If I was Jesus, I would have done like, uh, you know, it's like, it's early Sunday morning and oh, I'm resurrected. You know, I feel good. I've had a coffee. I'm raring to go. And what I would have done first thing Sunday morning if, is I would have done an early morning wake-up call to Caiaphas. And if you're familiar with the story, Caiaphas is the high priest, the Jewish high priest. He is like the bigwig, you know, for the Jews. And he's the guy that condemned Jesus to die. You know, I would have done an early morning call to Caiaphas. And I remember uh, our younger son, when he was old enough to get out of bed and, you know, come into our room and wake us up, he used to wake me up. He would do this. He would just come and poke me in the face. And believe me, that is not a pleasant way to wake up. But that's, if I was Jesus, that's the exact way I would have walked in. I would have walked into Caiaphas, into his bedroom. And there he is, sleeping away, big old beard. I would have leaned over, doink, 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 doink. Caiaphas, doink, 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 Caiaphas, look who's back, banana, Yahweh's back. I mean, I would have, I would have, yeah, we're connecting, hey, that's beautiful. But now think about that. Think about the difference that would make in history if Jesus resurrected, he was dead and now he's alive, came face to face with the leader, of the, really the leader of the Jewish people. I mean, wouldn't it, I mean, Israel, it would all be so different now, wouldn't it? Or imagine if, if Jesus uh, uh, placed a collect call to Pilate, if you know what a collect call is. Uh, you know, and Pilate is the Roman governor there in Jerusalem who has the ear of Caesar in Rome, the leader of the known world. Could you imagine if, you know, Pilate picks up the phone and uh, you've got a collect call from Jesus, will you accept the charges? Yeah, okay, sure. And uh, Jesus, who is this? And all of a sudden you hear uh, on the other end of the phone, hello, it's me, right? Okay, now I'm tracking with the ladies. Now the ladies are on board. But silliness aside, wouldn't that make a huge difference? I mean, if Caesar, if Caesar and Jesus met up, I mean, like Jesus, talk about being the, I mean, he would, 
He would be the prominent uh, figure in all of history, but he didn't do that. He could have, and it would have been so much easier to believe if he did, but he didn't do that. Now, why? Why did he, why did he not do that? Well, again, Jesus was seeking people, not a platform. And when you look at the kind of people that Jesus went after, it's like, I mean, he, really, it's like nobody's. It's nobody's. Now, I don't know about you, but that is really good news to me, that God, the people that he goes after with the greatest news the world has ever heard are just everyday people, just really unlikely uh, people. And, you know, Jesus was not a politician who used and leveraged people to elevate himself. It's just the opposite. I mean, if you're here today and, you know, you, you, you wonder, what is Jesus like? You know, maybe, maybe your, your uh, a picture of Jesus is, is he's just this angry guy who likes to rain in the parade, who just always likes to catch you doing something wrong. Or, but but uh, let me answer that question. What is Jesus like? Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 8. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he's God, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty... He could make you rich. I mean, far from leveraging you for, to, to better his life, Jesus is the opposite. He leveraged himself. He leveraged himself to elevate us. And, and you know, Jesus could have solidified his position as the, as the king of all kings if he'd gone to the right people. But he didn't. He will do that one day. He will do that one day. But he didn't. He went to the most unlikely. And when you look at the first person that Jesus goes after, it's this woman, Mary Magdalene. And we don't know a lot about her. A lot of commentators and real smart people that write about history and stuff, they say that she would have been a, 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 just a, she was probably a prostitute and, and, and just a total outcast, cultural, you know, a societal outcast. And one of the things we do know, because it's written in the Bible about Mary, is that when, when her and Jesus first met, when Jesus met this woman, Mary, it says that he, in one of the other gospels, that he delivered her or set her free from seven demons, evil spirits that were trying to destroy this woman's life, trying to just make a mess of her. And here is this woman that is just broken and troubled and harassed, and Jesus runs after her. And he, he's the king of all kings and he stoops into her muck, into the mess of her life. And he takes from his wealth, from his greatness and his riches, and he stoops down to make her rich, to lift her up. Now, that is really good news because I know today there's some of you that you can relate to Mary. You can relate to her. And you know, you might, you might not use the same language I use, but you would say, man, my life, you wanna sum my life up? It's bad luck. This, like, nothing seems to go right. It's one step forward, th uh, three steps back. And I, if that's you, I have good news for you today. Because just like we see in the story, today, Easter Sunday, of all the people Jesus could pursue, he's pursuing you. He's going after you. Because that's his heart. 
He didn't come to build his platform. He came to lift people out of messes. And he's going after you today. And he's got all the resources you could ever need. His heart towards you, if you wonder, what is he like? His heart towards you today is he wants to come close and he wants to you know, reach down into the mess of your life. And he wants to lift you up. He wants to give you hope. Let me read on. <clears throat> Verse 19. <clears throat> on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. We'll stop there. So Jesus, first he reveals himself to Mary, and now he goes and re reveals himself to his disciples, or at least 10 of his disciples. We'll get to that in a second. But seeing Jesus, it says that the disciples were, you know, over the moon, overjoyed. And obviously, you know, I think there's lots of reasons. One of the reasons is, you're alive. That's, that's, that's a really good reason for them. But another reason uh, why the disciples are so excited and so filled with joy is our second point. And our second point is this, and it'll need some explanation. Point two is Jesus and Babe Ruth. You're like, what? Okay, now I know he's off. Jesus and Babe Ruth. And here's what I mean. You wanna, uh, Doug, gonna throw that picture up? I was playing around with some Sharpies in my office today and I came up with this picture. Yeah, there we go. But I, uh, I didn't draw that, I wish. But you know, if you're, if, if you're a baseball fan, I mean, you probably know where I'm going with this, but this is a 1932 World Series. The Yankees are playing the Cubs. It's game three. And uh, there's a famous story that Babe Ruth, he's up to bat, and uh, uh, it's 0-2, two strikes against him. And then he does this. Before that third pitch comes, Babe Ruth stops and he points. And he calls, he basically calls it, right? And that's a, that is an arrogant thing to do. But he steps up and he calls it. And what happens? The next pitch comes and Babe Ruth, poof, out of the park. He called the shot. And this, you know, this is like, in, you know, it, it, it suddenly moves Babe Ruth into a category all by himself. Because it's an arrogant thing to call it, but it's an awesome thing to call it and then, and then do it. And that's why I say Jesus and Babe Ruth. Because Jesus, Jesus called his shot. Jesus called his resurrection. You know, well in advance of his death, well in advance of his resurre uh, resurrection, Jesus hanging out with his disciples, there were many times that are documented in the Gospels where Jesus told them, he called it. Hey, you guys, here's what's gonna happen. He told them what was gonna happen. Here's one of those times, it's in the Gospel, Mark, verse 33, Jesus says this, gather around you guys. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, a name he would call himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. He called his shot. He said what was going to happen. And that's like, that's not like some general, well, it's gonna get a little hard and then it'll get better. I mean, that was like, that, we're talking details. And the disciples who've heard this many times, they're, you know, they're, they're in this place where they're thinking this all through and, and, and they're like, yeah, we, you know, we saw him arrested. We saw him beaten. We saw him you know, nailed to the cross. We saw them take his dead body off the cross. And now he's standing here right in front of us 
eating fish fully alive. And the disciples, what they're thinking is, uh, if he was right on that, on something that is like impossible, if he's right on that, something that has never been done before, never been done since, if Jesus was right on that, well, then that means we can trust him for all the other things he called, for all the other things that Jesus promised. So for instance, uh, these are different verses I've just drawn out and I've, I've paraphrased them. But just to give you a snapshot, Jesus called a lot of things. Jesus called a lot of things for the future, a lot of promises for the future. One of them was that anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who believes in him, Jesus says will live forever, eternal life. He made that promise. Jesus said that, that he was going to prepare a place for us. So when we live forever, we're not just gonna be sitting on a cloud strumming a little harp. We're gonna, be, we're gonna live forever in like earth 2.0 in a perfect version of this beautiful planet that we live on. Jesus said, Jesus promised that, that in this place he's making for us, that there'll be no more tears There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be, you know, there'll be no more death. There'll be, I mean, on and on, no more fear. And, and, and he said, this place that I'm making for you is so amazing that if every human being on planet Earth got together and just you know, let their imaginations run wild and wrote a list of you know, what would the most wonderful place be like. If everyone wrote a list, Jesus said this. He said, you take all those lists, put them together, and they still wouldn't come close to how amazing this place is that he's, that he's making for us, this future promise that he's made. And you know, I, um, <clears throat> I was raised in a, in a Christian home, went to church all the time, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. I'm, uh, my parents, they taught me all about Jesus and how to pray, how to talk to God. They taught me about the Bible. Uh, they taught me how to avoid the evils of FM radio. Hey, can I get an amen? That's, but, but uh you know, I remember as a little boy being taught about heaven, this place that Jesus is making for us. And as a little boy, the thought of going to that place forever just, uh, just grabbed my heart in a, in, a, in a very powerful way. And really, it, it has never uh, let go. And I remember, I think I was like eight years old, and was this, this was in the mid-70s. And I grew up in Western Canada, so I don't know if this was going on in the States, uh, um, but there was a religious group that had made a claim, a prediction, that on a certain day the world was going to come to an end. And I remember, I have a vivid uh, memory of sitting with one of my school buddies, a guy named Billy Gagne, if you're taking notes, uh, and we were sitting on the, on the steps going down into our, the, the school we went to, and I can remember, I mean, picture that, two little boys, we were sitting on the steps, and we were discussing the end of the world. And I just remember uh, being so excited. Like, like Disneyland, pff, heaven, whoa. I just was so excited. And I can remember saying to my buddy, Billy, Billy, tomorrow, tomorrow, we're, we're going to heaven tomorrow. I was so, like, excited. Well, obviously, it didn't happen. And I can remember waking up like, wah, wah, wah. You know, waking up like, ah. Oh. I was so disappointed. And here's, you know, that hope, that, that belief in that childlike faith 
uh, belief in just the promises of God for the future. Here's something I found as I started to get older, and maybe this was your experience. You know, they had this real strong hold on me, but then as life started to happen, suddenly it was like all these clouds were rolling in on this, on this, this, this childlike faith that I had. And what I mean is, you know, with life happening, you know, uh, uh, maybe in your case, like, y- your parents got divorced, and your little world starts to shake and fall apart a little bit. Or maybe you got divorced. Or it was a health issue, or it was a financial issue, you had a bankruptcy, or just, you know how the stuff of life really brings you to a place of, uh, with faith and believing in God, it brings you to a place of, of, of questioning. It's hard to believe in this life. But you know, something that's amazing about Jesus is that he is really smart, because he knows you. He knows that that while while you know that the promises for the future are awesome and they and they you know they they can they warm your heart and they give you hope for the future. He also knows knows that we need hope for now, and so Jesus didn't just call the future; he also called the present. He made he made promises for the present. So here's here's uh, just some more verses that I've paraphrased. Jesus also said, "Hey, I'm going to be with you always." He made that promise that you, there's never been a day, you may, you may question me on this because you know, even on the hardest day, Jesus says, I was right there with you. And I know that can stir a lot of questions in, in hard things. But he promised that, that you would never be alone in this life. Jesus, knowing what life is like for us as human beings, he made a promise that he has provided on the cross, really what we're celebrating at Easter, that you know, that, that check went through He's made a promise that he has provided for each one of us to be forgiven for our sins. And what I mean by that is you can't, you can't go through life without getting dirt, dirt on you. Whether you fell into a puddle of your own choosing or someone pushed you into a puddle, part of walking through life is you get muddy. And the promise of Jesus is, all you need to do is ask forgiveness and I forgive you. Because it's, it's done already. It's just waiting for you to claim it. And, and, and I haven't just promised to forgive you I've promised to wash you clean from all that muck. And then tomorrow you fall in a puddle again, you go back to him again, he's promised to wash you clean again. He's promised, Jesus promised that when he made us, that he didn't just sort of make humans and said, now be nice, you know, and, and, and don't play cards or, you know, or whatever. That's, that's so irrelevant now in this day and age. But in my day, that was a big deal. Don't play cards unless it's uh, old maid. Remember that game? That was approved, funny enough. But, but what I'm saying in that is, is that Jesus, when he made each one of us, he made you with, with very specific purposes. Like I look, look around this room, we're all so different. We're all wired so differently. That's the handiwork of God that he made you for a special purpose in this life, this side of heaven. And what's, what's even cooler about this, this promise of purpose is that he has made a commitment to every human being that if you will take his hand, that he will lead you into all those purposes he has, that you will fulfill the purposes that he, that he has for you. And so here are the disciples. They're standing there looking at Jesus. And all these promises for the future and for the present, they're all like waves just washing over them. And they're overjoyed because they're like, this, this, this means it's all true. This means it's all true. If he can do that, well, then Jesus, he, he can do anything. He can do 
anything. You know, one of, the, one of the great joys of being a Christian, of believing in Jesus, is both knowing and experiencing those promises. That, that he's with us. The promise of forgiveness, the hope of heaven, all these different things. It, there's, it, it literally infuses hope into our hearts in the midst of the struggles of life. To both know and experience these promises. And, you know, I know that there are people here today that you need hope. You need joy. You know, and, it, and it's the classic between a rock and a hard place. There are people, you're in a, in, in a place today, whether it's, it's you personally, it's your health, it's your marriage, it's your, it's your uh, family, your business, on and on, all the stuff of life. Uh, but you're in, in a, a situation that from your perspective is impossible. There's just, there's no way to fix this. Well, today we are celebrating the resurrection of the one who can do anything. And like I said in the last point, he's pursuing you. Because he wants to step into your situation in the midst of the confusion and whatever's going on and he wants to give you hope. And he actually wants to give you uh, joy in that situation. And again, the way that you find that, it's, it's, it's by taking his hand. And another way to put that, it's, it's by believing in him. And what we're gonna look at, now, look at now in the third point is that he helps us to believe. So number three, and we'll end off with this, number three is Jesus It's simply Jesus and you. Jesus and you. So verse 24 says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So now it doesn't say why Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus showed up. But either way, it was not enough for Thomas to believe to just hear the testimony of the other disciples. He's alive. We've seen him. He's alive. It wasn't enough for Thomas. He needed proof. And oh boy, oh boy, did he ever get proof. I mean, that is up. That is very personal, real proof. And and what we see with Mary, the disciples, with Thomas is, is that they all needed help to believe. They all needed help to believe. And and here's where it gets personal. Uh, Verse 29 says this. It says, then Jesus told him, then Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And here's what I want to pull out of that, that verse. Um, there's a term in movie making, it's called breaking the fourth wall. You may have heard that, that, uh, ex- that term. And really what it is, you know, let's pretend this is a theater and you're watching a movie right now and, uh, and you know, I, there's a scene going on and I'm, you know, I'm Rocky Balboa, or no, I'm, you know, we're, I'm fighting it out with some guy on the stage. Breaking the fourth wall, and you've seen this in movies, breaking the fourth wall is when an actor in a movie turns and looks right into the camera because you're not supposed to look into the camera. 
right? But the breaking the fourth wall is when that actor looks into the camera and looks right at it, feels like looks right at you. Have you ever seen that in a movie when that happens? When they turn and look at you, it's like everything changes. You've now gone from being a spectator to suddenly it's like it gets personal. And so that whatever that character turns and looks and they speak into the camera and it's like, it's like they're talking right at you. They're looking at you. And that's what I see Jesus doing in this verse. He's breaking the fourth wall because he's looking at Thomas and he's saying, hey, you believe because you've seen. You know, you, 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 you saw the scars, you saw the on and on. You believe because you've seen. And then Jesus, in this verse, he turns and he looks into the camera and he looks hundreds and hundreds of years down, down you know, through history to today. And today he looks through the Bible. He looks through his, you know, and he looks at you. And he totally personalizes what he's saying. You know, hundreds of years ago with Thomas, he turns and he, he looks at each one of us. And he says, you know, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet I believe. Have not seen or touched what you saw and touched, Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen that and still believe. He's talking to us. But we need help to believe. Because you know what? God doesn't like make you believe. He doesn't, he doesn't do it that way. It's your choice. You have a choice. But what he does is he helps us to believe. In fact, the Bible says, if God didn't help us to believe, the Bible says no one would believe in him. So John 6, Jesus says this. He said, no one can come to me, no one can believe in me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one, no one can believe unless the Father who sent me draws them. And the, the, uh, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and the Greek word used there for draws is the word helko and that word means to drag. So now, now think of it that way. Another way to say this verse is Jesus is saying, no one can come to me unless the Father, no one can believe in me unless the Father who sent me drags them. Well, what does that say? That says that there's a battle for you and I to believe. That says that there's resistance for us to believe. And we have resistance in our human heart. Part of the human condition is it's called pride. It's called me, I'm the boss of me. You know, there's, just, there's this thing in the human heart that we, we just, we refuse to bow down to anyone else. That's pride. We also have, well, part of the human condition is everyone is born blind to God and it's called unbelief. For us to believe, we need help to believe. The Bible says that God has an enemy, that we have an enemy and you know, he has lots of names but as you'd know him as the devil The Bible says that the devil works constantly to keep you and I in a place of unbelief. Uh, Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this age, small g, he's talking about the devil. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Have you ever considered that? that there is a battle, there's resistance to you believing. I believe for some people right now in this room, there's a, there's, a, there's a battle going on. There's a battle over you believing. And, and you know, when I say that, that you know, God helps us believe and that you know, I, I, I give the, that word that, that he drags us, that again, I want you to hear it. He's not forcing you to believe. He's not forcing anyone to believe, but the picture I get is that, 
this, this, this word drags is that God the Father is lovingly, lovingly dragging you out of the darkness into the light so that you can see Jesus clearly. <gasps> That's what you're like? <sighs> this is what you're like, Jesus? This is who you are? See, God lovingly drags you into this place so in that place of clarity, now he looks at you and says, now I want you to make a choice. I've lovingly dragged you out of darkness into light. I've revealed myself to you. And in that place, he's saying, now you need to choose. You need to choose if you believe in, and you know, God, I've been saying this uh, through the talk, God is a pursuing God. God is a God, he promised that he's always with us. God is a God who made you. And because he made you, he knows how to reveal himself to you. He knows how to open your eyes and, and for you to see him. And, you know, and I, I remember, again, I, I shared, I was raised in the, in, in the church, and, but I remember where I really made a decision to follow Jesus. Like, I'd sat through so many Easter services, and I knew lots of things. I knew how to act, how to fool my parents, to be honest, Right? And, but I remember I was, I think I was 18 or 19 years old and I was going to a school down in Los Angeles and I was, it was one night I was lying in bed and I was thinking, I just, I was thinking about God and just about him and I, I, I just knew something was going on and, and I, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but God in that time revealed himself to me. And the only, I, the only way I know how to put it is that he just became real. It literally was like, I'm lying in bed, and he was sitting on the end of the bed talking with me. That's what it felt like. That's what it seemed like. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it may as well have been because it was so clear. And what I sensed he said to me is he called me by name, and he said, Michael, it's not enough that your parents believe in me. You need to make a decision. Do you believe in me? And I look back at that, and I, and I said, yes, I do believe in you. I have lots of questions but I do believe in you, Jesus. And, and to say that that decision changed my life would be an incredible understatement. You know, in, in saying yes to Jesus, it has not answered all my questions. I have lots of why. Why would you let this happen? Why would you not do this? Why, why? I, and I, that's, we all have those questions. But it, is, it has changed my life because now the whole perspective that I look through life, the lenses that I look through life at, it's all different because of him. Because I'm seeing them through the lens of who he is and what he's done and all that he has promised, both in this life and in the, in the life to come. So why don't we stand up? Here's how we're gonna end off today. <clears throat> You know, I believe that as I have been talking, some of you have literally felt like, hey, someone's dragging me. That you, that God has lovingly been dragging you from a place of maybe blindness, of darkness, into a place of light. That as I've been talking today, God has been revealing himself to you. You're like, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. And it's like God has come really close to you and you know the interesting thing about about believing in Jesus about starting a relationship with him it really is like starting a relationship with a person and and the whole goal this weekend the, the talk that I've written really the whole talk has, has been me introducing Jesus to you 
And so what I want to do is if we could all close our eyes, uh, I want to invite, if you're here today and you know, it's like he's calling your name. I want to invite you, if that's you, I want to invite you to, I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's just, prayer is just talking to God. I'm going to pray a prayer and I want to invite you to join in with me. And just to echo what I pray, you can do it just in, you know, in your heart or you can say it out loud if you want to, but I just want to invite you uh, to pray along. And here, so Jesus, I thank you for revealing yourself to me. It's good to meet you, Jesus. And maybe for some, it would be it's good to meet you again, Jesus. And I say yes to you. I have lots of questions, but I say yes. I believe in you. Jesus, I ask that you would just Come take control of my life. Come teach me how to be in a relationship with you. Jesus, I say yes to you today. And again, I thank you for revealing yourself to me. Now, if we could just keep our eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, could you just pop your hand up real quick for me to see? Just put your hand up. Okay, that's awesome. You can put it down. Now, here's you can look up now. Here's what I would ask. For those of you that put your hand up, and I took a picture. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. That would be. But the security cameras, no. But uh, here's what I would ask you to do, because what you just did is, is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And we take it very serious, so it, it, would, it would mean a lot to me if you could, on that Connect card, there's a little box at the bottom that says, I gave my life to Jesus today. If you could check that box and just give us your name and like your, your number or email address and, and then either drop it off at the visitor's welcome or on these there's little boxes by the door as you leave. You could drop it in there. And all I'm going to do, I promise I will not harass you. I will not show up at your house. I will, um, I'm just going to get in touch with you uh, and, and just, I just want to talk with you and talk about what you said yes to today. And really just help you in, that, in the next step of being in a relationship with God. So it would be awesome if you would do that. Okay, here's how we're going to end off the service. Really end it off. Is, uh, <laughs> oh, and I'm wrapping up again. No. Uh, so here at our church at VCDC, we typically end our service with uh, something called uh, ministry time. And again, really it's logical that we do that. Because we believe that God is alive We believe that God is with us and we believe that because God is with us, God does what God does. And all that we see him doing in the Bible, we believe he still does today. Coming close to people, healing people, you know, setting people free of demons and all these these wonderful stories in the Bible. And so we have a ministry time because that's the time where we invite people to come forward for prayer. And in a sense, that coming forward is your way of saying, yeah, God's been working on my heart during this service. And he's been sort of tugging on me too. And we want to give people an opportunity to respond. And, and so we, uh, you know, typically someone just comes up, puts a, guys pray, pray for guys, gals for gals. And someone just comes up, puts a hand on their shoulder and prays for them. It's real simple. It's real safe. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to invite some people forward for prayer. And uh, one group is this. When I talked about being between a rock and a hard place, when you're in a, you're in a seemingly impossible situation, 
we would love to pray for you today. And, and, and what, what I mean is, you know, come forward and have someone pray for you because God wants to uh, come close to you and he wants to give uh, uh, hope to you, joy to you in the midst of that hard situation. That, that's one group. I'll invite you forward in a sec. The other group is, uh, you know, all through the Bible, we see Jesus healing people from all kinds of things. And I want to, it looks like spring is in the air, I know for many of you, whether it's sinus headaches or all, you know, allergies, if you are like dreading spring, we want to pray for you, that God would would touch you, that God would heal you. I'm not promising a heal, but I'm promising that God will come close, but we're going to ask him to heal you. And if that's you, or really, if you're here today and you have any pain in your body, we love to pray for the sick. So I would invite you forward in a second. Then the, the uh, last group might be a bit more of a risk. But if you are a guest today, uh, we just want to bless you. And, and, and again, it's just a simple prayer of blessing over you. That could be for you as an individual. could be for you with your spouse or with your family or with your friends, whoever you came with today. But I just want to open that door and just invite that uh, invite you into that. If you want to come forward as the others come forward and someone will just pray for you, it's safe uh, uh, just to bless you. So JT is going to end off with a song. Uh, and then all those three groups that I said, if that's you, come on up now. Come on forward. Remember, guys pray for guys, gals for gals. But come on up and uh, let someone pray with you. And then we will end off the service. sure everyone who comes forward has someone praying for
today. We thank you for Easter. We thank you that uh, that you're alive, that you know us, that you love us, that you're a God who's pursuing us. And I pray for each one here as we get back into our routines. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just be relentless with us. Keep pursuing us. I pray that each one of us in this room would be brought to a place of seeing you clearly, Jesus. Brought to a place of decision. I thank you for each one that's here, for each family that's represented. I just pray a, a blessing over each one of us uh, that you'd watch over us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.